0: Today is October 29, 2021, so today we're going to give you an update on COVID-19 vaccines because there is a lot of information that is coming out every week, so we want to keep you updated. So, and this is going to be before we start our discussion on depression, which is our main topic for today. But we previously announced the FDA emergency use authorization for a booster shot with the Pfizer-BioNTech. COVID-19 vaccine and that happened in September 2020 but on October 2020 20 of this same year the FDA also granted emergency use authorization for a booster shot of the Moderna this time but also the Johnson and Johnson vaccine so we're gonna discuss today those updates and I have here Nathan who is a medical student you may remind, remind, remember him from the previous episode on aspirin. Uh, updates, and then we have our super RN, Lily, and we're going to talk about the vaccines. So Nathan is going to talk about Pfizer, Lily is going to be talk- talking about Moderna, and I'm going to give an update in Johnson & Johnson.
1: Absolutely. So Pfizer, BioNTech, brand named community uh, this now has full FDA approval for patients who are 18 years and older for the prevention of COVID-19. The rest of the indications uh, for this vaccine are under the emergency use authorization. It is authorized for those 12 years and older, with a total of two doses, 21 days apart. Uh, It's now authorized for a third dose in those patients that are immunocompromised, and that is defined by on active cancer treatment, organ transplant recipients, taking immunosuppressive or high-dose corticosteroids, or have moderate to severe immunodeficiency. This third dose is given at least one month after the second dose. It is authorized for a single booster shot in special populations, and those patients are older than 65 years of age or 18 to 64 years of age and at high risk for severe COVID-19 or with frequent occupational exposure. The booster shot must be given six months after the primary series is complete.
2: Thank you, Nathan. I'm gonna talk to you about Moderna. Also with Moderna, no brand name yet. All uses are under emergency use authorization. It is authorized for 18 years and older for the prevention of COVID-19. You get a total of two doses in the primary series four weeks apart. The third dose is authorized to be given one month after the second dose. Patients who can receive a third dose should include patients on active cancer treatment, organ transplant recipients, taking immunosuppressives or on high dose corticosteroids, or have immunodeficiency. It is authorized for a single booster shot six months after completing the primary series. The booster shot of Moderna should be a half dose. This is different from the third dose. People may receive a booster shot who are those who are older than 65 years of age or 18 through 64 years of age at high risk of severe COVID-19 or with frequent occupational exposure
0: so that includes us, so that we can get a us. booster because we got frequent exposure to COVID-19. And well, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, there is no brand name yet. And it's also authorized as a single dose vaccine. So that's the easiest of all of them. So you give only one dose and you are done, but you can get a booster shot two months after the first dose. And there, there is the same indications for the booster shot that you guys
1: mentioned is it applies to Johnson & Johnson too. Awesome. So the FDA has recently authorized this um, mix-and-match approval um, on October 20th of 2021. Heterologous booster dose for currently approved or authorized COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, We can give the booster shot with a different vaccine than the one we received primarily. Uh, So, for example, a a patient who received uh, the J&J vaccine may receive a booster shot with Pfizer or Moderna two months later. Uh, Another example would be that a patient might receive the primary series of Pfizer Uh, But they can then receive the booster shot with Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J six months after completing the primary series. Booster booster shots are authorized again for patients who are 65 years and older, uh, or those patients that are 18 to 64 years of age and at high risk for severe COVID-19, or uh, those of us with uh, frequent occupational exposure.
0: It's not very clear what, what, like it was not in the website. You know who are considered to be at risk for severe COVID-19. We can mention, for example, a patient with chronic diseases, with pulmonary disease, a patient with uh, diabetes or obesity, they're probably at risk for severe COVID-19, so those patients can receive a booster shot. As
2: well as any patient that would be in like nursing care home where there's congregated settings, um, those people also in close quarters are at risk for um, COVID-19 infection. Yeah, and they can receive a booster. Absolutely. That's great news the vaccination of children 5 to 11 years old is still under discussions and we hope to have more updates coming soon on that
0: thank you guys this
3: is rio bravo q week your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the rio bravo family medicine residency program from bakersfield california our program is affiliated with UCLA and sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. And today we have two wonderful guests. Again, two wonderful students. And they're going to have a beautiful discussion about a topic that they're going to introduce right now.
4: Hi. Yeah everyone. Thank you for listening. My name is Virginia Bustamante. I'm a third year medical student at Ross University School of Medicine.
5: And I'm Shariza Basmanas, a fourth year medical student at American University of the Caribbean School of Medicine.
0: And I'm Hector Ariasa. You have heard me before. I'm going to be here in the background, guys. So I know that you are very prepared for this. We have been planning for this for several weeks, and I'm happy that you finally were able to make it to the clinic and record with us.
4: Thank you. Um, we We wanted to talk about adolescence and depression today. I was reading a piece on the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on adolescent mental health on psychiatry advisory by Tori Rodriguez. She's actually a licensed professional counselor with a master's in arts in counseling psychiatry. And this article really got me thinking, um, how prevalent is depression in adolescence even before COVID-19? I read the article and I wasn't even aware of the numbers. So I decided to do some research
5: yeah um you know when you brought up the topic for discussion i asked myself how much i even know i found that the cdc reported that more than one in three high school students had experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in 2019. this was a 40 percent increase since 2009.
4: wow those numbers are actually pretty high.
5: Yeah, and it also said that in 2019, about 1 in 6 youth reported making a suicide plan in the past year. That was 44% increase since 2009. 44 increase! That's almost unbelievable. Now I'm asking myself, what is causing such a drastic increase? Same.
4: When I read Rodriguez's piece, it really got me thinking what is or are there even causes linked to such a huge increase
5: yeah um are adolescents more open to talk about mental health illness or are there other factors affecting their mental illness for example increasing social media presence or other home or social pressures
4: exactly and that may be partially why the U.S. News and World Report wrote a piece that highlighted on the possible contributing factors that have led to this increase. This, they stated that the data hasn't really shown a conclusive answer, but there are some common themes that they found. And i like to spend some time on this podcast actually really going into each of those themes and discussing them. The U.S. News and World Report listed five common themes. Theme one, what they called a modern day diagnosis where they referenced John Hopkins health review, which explained that adolescent depression is somewhat of a new
5: diagnosis. I've actually heard of this. Um, Up until the 1980s, mental health professionals were reluctant to diagnose adolescents with a mood disorder because their brains were still developing. They thought it was not appropriate to discuss or to diagnose someone so young with, for example, depression.
4: Yeah, exactly. So the current thought is that perhaps this change of thinking has played a part in increasing the numbers in form of increased reporting and also documentation.
5: Interesting. Wow, it's like statistics all over again.
4: <laughs> yeah. The second theme they listed was hyper-connected and overstimulated. This really stems from how our world is today, where electronic devices and social media play a big part in youth's, um, youth's lives. The idea that they have a life in the real world and also one in the virtual world.
5: I read a study on teens, social media and technology, a Pew Research Center study that more than 95% of teenagers have access to a smartphone and 45% of them describe themselves as being online almost constantly.
4: Yeah, to think of how this may affect them and how they see themselves. For maybe a lot of us listening right now, we've had um, our own social media if that could be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and going way back to my space. But we mm-hmm. know that social media can be an amazing place to share our lives, but it can also be a place where there's a lot of criticism.
0: Yeah, you know, I have two preteens, two children, two boys, and um, they don't have a cell phone. They hate me for that <laughs> because wow. all everybody in their classroom have a cell phone. Yeah. But um, so I have you heard of this term FOMO? I don't know if you have heard before of that. Yes. Fear yeah. of missing out. So it's a condition, you know, that can cause severe anxiety in people because maybe others are having fun when they are not connected, or maybe they missed a particular event or a or a memorable experience or an opportunity to connect mm-hmm. to someone that is famous, or maybe having an online investment on time. So that fear of fear of missing out. So that might be one of the explanations for this uh, increased uh, depression and anxiety.
4: Yeah, that yeah. actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, uh, another thing was that the Journal of Abnormal Psychiatry explained that the, psych, the spike sorry, in depression and suicidal tendencies may also be connected to social media among young people. They went on to describe how it's not uncommon for young people to measure their own self-worth based on likes.
0: That makes sense. You know, many people think that they are worth based uh, on how many likes they get, right?
4: Yeah, the that I I would have to confess, I've also feel like I've i put myself in the same um, predicament. Yep. I I feel guilty that sometimes I don't post a picture because I look at it and is it Instagram worthy? Are people gonna like it? Um, rather than is it for my family? Is it uh, me sharing my personal moments with everyone?
5: Yeah, I've done it too. Um, It's not something I'm proud of, but I have gotten sucked into the fake reality of online. Um, That's actually why I reduced my social media presence.
4: Was there something specific or a reason that led you to this? Um,
5: I just felt like it was taking more energy than it was meant for. And honestly, I've felt happier since not really using my Facebook anymore. (laughs) Well, that's
4: really good. If it makes you happy, I completely support it. I mean, I might actually consider it for myself things
0: Yeah, sometimes a social media fasting may be beneficial for some people.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the third theme, uh, the article actually referred to what they call uncertain times.
5: What does that even mean?
4: So, yeah, that could be confusing. So, what they think is that each generation is influenced and shaped, if either that's positive or negative, by the events that are happening at that time. And sadly, today's young people have grown up in a post-9-11 world with mass terrorist attacks, shootings, whether that be high schools, malls, and even churches. And all these events mean that young people may know the fear of terrorism. And a sense of security has been taken away from them by these awful and cowardly attacks on others.
5: Um, I actually had a friend um, who was afraid to go to the movies after the 2012 Aurora, Colorado shooting. For a long time, every time she went, she couldn't sit there and actually enjoy the movie. So she, she kept turning around, looking at the door every time it opened, afraid something would happen. So thinking of that and thinking that others may be going through similar and even more difficult times, I can completely understand this contributing depression among young people.
4: Yeah, this fear and stress appears to be uh, increasingly um, related to the depression. Wow. Yeah, and for the fourth theme... It was not enough sleep. The National Sleep Foundation recommends teens get eight and a half to nine and a half hours. And instead, they're really getting around seven. I know for myself, at least when I'm uh, really well rested, I perform better. My energy, my memory and my overall mood is better. But with school, work and everything else that we have in our personal lives, sometimes it's really hard to get all those hours. I mean, I don't know about you, Shariza, but I definitely uh, feel like I can work on getting more sleep.
5: Yeah, sadly, I struggle with it too. But for adolescents where they're still developing and undergoing different physiological changes, those hours are especially important. The Sleep Foundation stressed the importance of sleep for teens. They talk about how it helps with physical development with all the changes they're undergoing, academic achievements, by promoting attention, improving memory like you brought up, and definitely helps with emotional health. The website states that mental health disorders, for example, anxiety, depression, and even bipolar disorders have been linked to poor sleep. They even stated that sleep defi- sleep deprivation in teenagers can increase the risk of
0: suicide. And of course, I have to mention something about obesity because mm-hmm. I like uh, the topic of obesity. So a poor sleep also can lead to obesity in adolescents and adults, surprisingly, because we always picture people like okay if you sleep more you're gonna have a lot of uh, more risk to get obese or get obesity but uh, actually if you don't if you sleep too much of course that's bad but if you sleep less than required or less than necessary then that can also lead to obesity something we should remember also is the timing of sleep for adolescents you know the sleep pattern changes over time in people you know normally you know when you are born you require 12 to 16 hours of sleep throughout the day you know you're basically sleeping the whole day 20 hours Um, but then you start growing up you require less sleep and of course in adolescence an an ideal time would be like you mentioned 8.5 to 10 hours so that would be ideal Um, but people are not getting enough sleep so normally a teenager tends to go to bed late and wake up late and that's considered a normal pattern and for this reason, many high school schedules are being changed in California to start at 8 a.m. But you told me, Regina, that you went to high school at 8 a.m., right?
4: Yes, I did. I,
5: I didn't know high schools even started at 7 a.m. That's
4: yeah. really early. And what about
0: you, Charissa? Um,
5: I don't um, exactly remember, but my brother goes to high school. Uh-huh. And even, you know, they say it starts at 7, but you have to think about the bus doesn't get there until 6 a.m. Yeah. So really, they have to be awake at 5.30. Yeah. To get ready so that means mm-hmm. that they have to
0: go to bed early but normally yeah. teenagers don't go to bed <laughs> yeah. until later mm-hmm. so it's, it's something difficult to to explain but yeah um sleeping definitely can help mm-hmm. a, a a teenager to uh, prevent suicide prevent other problems that they can have
4: yeah definitely if they're starting at 7 a.m it sounds like improving their sleep would be something that would be very helpful in preventing mental health disorders or at least reducing their symptoms yeah i believe so The last and fifth theme that uh, we wanna discuss on the US News and World Report is uh, the increase may be also linked to the lack of community. This goes back to the world we live in today. We live with this what, go, go, sorry, this go-go mentality that we have to move on to the next thing and the community that we've built may be also getting smaller. So it's both this go-go mentality and that our community is getting smaller and something the article quoted was our face-to-face connections have actually decreased.
5: Is there anything else
4: they suggest? Well, actually, um, outside on a different article, the U.S. Preventive Services and Task Force, they actually recommended that primary caregivers reduce um, adolescent screen time and that this may help with depression. This doesn't always happen, though, so they suggest that identifying adolescent depression should not be something that only falls on the medical provider, but something that we should all be responsible for. We can do this by building healthy and trusting relationships with our young people, and hopefully this will help build a sense of community with them.
0: So I'm very proud to say that here in Clinical Sura Vista, we do universal screening for depression for adolescents and adults. So I think that's a good thing to do.
5: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah.
4: To recap what we talked about today and highlight some of the themes that are possibly related to the increase in adolescence and depression, uh, there was the idea of the modern day diagnosis, second being the hyper-connected and overstimulated based on the events that have been happening, third is the uncertain times we live in, fourth not enough sleep, and lastly the lack of community.
5: Uh, We hope you guys all really enjoyed listening. And remember if you are or know someone struggling with depression and suicide thoughts reach out to someone L- let someone know how you're doing uh, tell a teacher adult, or just someone and for
4: whatever reason if you don't feel comfortable or uh to or you have someone to even reach out to and you feel that you are in danger of hurting yourself or others please call 911
5: there are also national suicide prevention hotlines That is 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-SUICIDE. And um, there's also 1-800-273-TALK. Again, that's 1-800-273-TALK.
4: And for something that's local in town, there's also the Mary Kay Shao Mental Health Center. They have a walk-in crisis. They are located in Bakersfield on College and Mount Vernon. And this is actually in the same parking lot as Kern Medical Center. And their phone number is 661-868-8123.
0: And for the residents, if they have somebody who is suicidal in clinic, you know, it's good to have um, our counselor here, our mental health uh, specialist, evaluate the patient and they can be seen right away. So don't wait. And I think most residents are very well trained on what to do, Mm -hmm. but sending the patient to Medicaid shell might be another option. And, yeah, that's that's great. That's great information, guys.
4: Yeah, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. And I hope it was helpful in one way or another.
5: Thank you, everyone.
4: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: Now we conclude our episode number 72, Depression in Adolescence. Our adolescent patients are a special population, so special that you can even do a fellowship after finishing your residency. Our adolescents are under a lot of pressure, especially during this era of social media. Remember to screen for depression and start treatment right away with behavioral therapy and medications as needed, or refer your depressed patients to a psychiatrist to start treatment promptly. Do not forget to assess risk of suicide and act fast to prevent suicide in your patients. Even without trying, every night, you go to bed being a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency rbre at or visit our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Lillian Pearson, Nathan Heathcote, Virginia Bustamante, and Teresa Besaanos. Audio by Suraj See you next week!